you're listening to That's the Industry Podcast, episode number 15. Today, you're going to learn all about the makeup industry and how it works in the entertainment industry. And we're not just talking about beauty stuff. My guest today creates works of art. I would argue that they are masterpieces on people's faces and her own. It's pretty crazy. Here we go. You're listening to That's the Industry with Thomas Jordan. That's the Industry with Thomas Jordan. The podcast that takes you inside all the aspects of the entertainment industry. Directly from the people who are making it happen. And now, your host, Thomas Jordan. What's going on, everyone? Thomas Jordan here. Today, we are joined by Abby Wren. Abby is a professional makeup artist. She's an editorial and effects makeup artist. She's also a content creator all over the social medias. Abby, what's going on? Hi, Thomas. Thank you so much for having me. This is so great. I know. I, did I get all those titles right? You got a handful of them. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's evolved so much over the years, but that sounds awesome. And yeah. the and I'm always curious to how people got started in the entertainment industry, especially for what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've definitely had a bit of a roundabout path to get to exactly what I'm doing these days, but um, it all kind of started for me um, back in high school, actually, back in, oh gosh, that was 2000. 2006 yeah and um I I was always really interested in makeup but when I lost my hair in high school I have the autoimmune disorder alopecia totalis and I actually lost all of my hair back in high school and that was kind of the motivation for me to find different forms of artistic expression and you know especially throughout the beauty industry to help me kind of express my femininity so that's kind of what sparked everything. Yeah. <laughs> and, what, and what is alopecia exactly? Yeah. Alopecia is an autoimmune disease. It is actually your, your body is essentially fighting the wrong thing. So typically when you scrape your knee or something, your, your immune system jumps into motion trying to protect your body and help itself heal for some reason, my immune system thinks that there's something wrong with my hair follicles. So it actually attacked my hair follicles. And so it causes all of the hair on my head to just fall out. It's just crazy. (laughs) But there there are lots of different forms of alopecia. There's alopecia areata, which is bald spots all over the head and just kind of periodical patches of hair loss. And then alopecia totalis, which is what I have, is the total loss of hair on the head. And, and how does that affect one, you know, and you said that happened in high school? Yeah. With high yeah. school being kind of like one of those times where it's just like, there's just so much emotion going on. There's hormones going over. How did that affect you in high school? Yeah, that's a great question. It was not the ideal time for that to happen. But, um, you know, I was really lucky. I had such a great support system with my family. I'm very, very close with both of my parents. And I had a great group of friends in high school. So... I, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate because it didn't disrupt my day-to-day life very much, but it definitely played with a little bit of self-esteem initially. And that's actually, you know, why I turned to makeup is I, I really found a lot of artistic expression through playing around with eyeshadows and eyeliner and just getting creative with what I could control, which was makeup. And when did you realize that you could start doing the uh, effects makeup? Yeah, and real and real quick for those people who don't know what effects makeup is, uh, could you tell us what it is and how you got into it? Yeah, absolutely. So um, effects makeup is creative makeup that typically involves, you know, unconventional uh, techniques. So oftentimes it's used in film or in you know movies or these days it's a lot of digital content as well. You know, YouTube and Instagram too. So it's more creative makeup. So turning yourself into a character, turning a client into a character, adding facial hair, you know, beards, bald caps. Sometimes it can be adding a scar, blood work, and just kind of the unconventional makeup, not the beauty stuff. So yeah, it's some of my favorite makeup to do. And why is it your favorite makeup to do? You know, I think 
I think I always saw the the beauty industry and makeup in general as being kind of one dimensional, even though it's so personal, it's still beauty. It's still just enhancing something to be beautiful and effects and more creative makeup is, is just a, a step further. And I, I, I have a painting background too. So I, I really just leaned towards the, how effects and creative makeup was different. It was a little, it was a little extra, a little bit more, a little bit more emotional and it invoked some feeling where as beauty makeup typically just, you know, makes people feel nice and beautiful and good. Sometimes effects makeup can be kind of scary or really terrifying or emotional. It can cause, you know, it can make someone look like they've just been beaten up and that it it invokes a different kind of emotion that has always been really interesting to me. And what's really interesting to me is that I think you're being a little modest. Uh, I have seen your work on Instagram and it is insane. Like the stuff you draw is like recently, as of this recording, you drew a butterfly on the side of your face and it literally looked like a butterfly. And then you had, you know, a Jason mask on your entire face that was completely painted. How in the world do you, and you're doing it backwards like you're in a mirror so like I can I can barely write my own name okay so (laughs) how in the world do you do something like that oh you're too kind thank you yeah it's I it's definitely been an evolution like I said I it's it's taken just a ton a ton of practice you know I've been doing this now for several years and and seriously and quite often so it just gives me lots of time to practice but it, it's it's been an evolution too because working on yourself is so different than working on a client. When I'm working on someone else, I have everything mapped out on a face chart. I know exactly what I'm going into, and it's easy to just translate that onto someone else. Whereas on yourself, you're working through a mirror. So yeah, like you said, everything is kind of backwards. It is it's a whole different thing, but just lots of practice and tons and tons of mistakes. You know, just just having an idea or sometimes no idea and being able to just work through that creative process is one of my favorite things to do, especially these days, you know, with everything going on, it is, it's so nice to just, to just be able to work on myself and let an idea kind of come to life and, and see where I see where I end up taking it. So I feel like in especially it kind of being an art and with like an art mistake, I feel like if you're if you know who Bob Ross is, like he I think he calls them happy mistakes and then he kind of, of fixes it and like works it in somehow and that mistake becomes a part of the art. Is does that work the same in your field? Especially when you're drawing on your own face. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a great question. I I think it's been really helpful to have gone to makeup school and learned professional techniques that can help with those things. Obviously, art is is so it's so open to interpretation, right? So what might be a mistake could yeah could actually be an evolution into something that I didn't even know I was going to do, or you know, an accidental color or something like that. But I do think that having a professional background, you know, at least on a, on a high level, what does work aesthetically to the human eye and which colors, you know, knowing color theory and knowing which colors are going to complement themselves in a look or complement other colors and staying within a realm that is going to be, you know, aesthetically pleasing to, to, to people's artistic eye. So in knowing tips and tricks on how to clean up mistakes and use a makeup remover or tiny little q-tips to adjust and yeah similar to bob ross but a little little more detail (laughs) a little bit yeah is it almost kind of like you know if like a musician right like say uh, like a pianist or something he's like jamming out you know since i have no clue what it's like to play the piano and he's just up there jamming out and he's messed up let's just say 10 or 15 times i would have no idea does it work the same as well like if you're either doing it on your face or a client's face and you i guess make a mistake is there any way that they would like you would see it but they wouldn't that's yeah that's another good question i think you know back in the day when the makeup industry was maybe a little bit smaller and people didn't know so much I would say that would be the case. Maybe they wouldn't notice a mistake, but it's crazy because the industry has come so far and changed so much in the last probably five years. 
it's just become so much more common. People know how to do a, you know, a smoky eye with a cut crease, whereas, you know, when I was in high school, when I was younger, I didn't know the first thing about all these techniques. And I think a lot, a lot of that has to do with the evolution of the industry through social media, because now you have people that are on YouTube and Instagram and through these social media platforms that are experts that know what they're doing and they're sharing that knowledge. So such a wide variety of people that are interested in something like beauty and makeup artistry, um, they're learning right from their own computers. So the skills are kind of out there for people to learn. So maybe someone would, you know, would potentially call me on a mistake because they actually know a little bit about makeup, whereas five, 10 years ago, that definitely wouldn't have happened. How has the education system changed for what you do? Like I said, there's so many, I mean, with all the tutorials online and, you know, you actually went to school for everything. Have you seen like an evolution of the learning system in, I I guess, to become a makeup artist? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting conversation that I have with a lot of fellow makeup artists and makeup enthusiasts out there because I think education, it just depends, I guess, what someone is going into makeup artistry hoping to achieve. If you're wanting to become a YouTuber and you are interested in just sharing what you know with the world, there's no barrier of entry there. You can start a YouTube channel today and you can do that. If you're wanting to become a professional and you are wanting to, you know, abide by all the health standards, you have to have sanitation requirements met. You need to make sure that you're you're cleaning your brushes properly, that you're stocking, you know, all the shade ranges for any any kind of skin tone or skin sensitivity that you could possibly come upon. If you're trying to become a professional, then you definitely need certification and schooling, in my opinion. Some states do require that certification and some states do not. I would say that most states do though. So it just depends what, you know, what your interest with makeup is. For me, I, I went to school because I wanted to become a professional in the field and I really respected the credentials that requires and I wanted to be, you know, the very best that I could offer to my clients. So that was definitely a priority for me, as well as, you know, continuing education. I do every three to six months, I do sanitation courses and artistry courses just to make sure that I'm current and I'm aware of what's happening in the industry and can offer the very best to my clients. And it's interesting, you keep talking about sanitation. I mean, granted, I know zero about the makeup industry, I wouldn't have even thought that for a second. So I'm wondering, does that get bypassed a lot? with people who don't go to school? It's so frustrating in the industry because you would think that that is just something that everyone knows and everyone should know if you're in the industry. But unfortunately, there are a lot of makeup artists out there who do not practice correct sanitation throughout their kits. So that is why I definitely always encourage people to go to school if you're interested in, in doing something professionally, because you, that's, that's what you learn there. You know, you can be a wonderful, wonderful artist with all the talent in the world. But, you know, if, if you go to work on someone and you don't have the proper sanitation and you end up giving them an eye infection because you didn't clean your brushes properly, that's a huge liability to to others and yourself. So yeah, unfortunately, there are artists out there who do not have that knowledge and who practice their artistry on other people. And it, it is kind of dangerous, especially in times like this, you know, where we have, we have viruses going around, there are scary things at all times. But yeah, it, it's an interesting conversation. I'm a part of a lot of groups on Facebook, a lot of discussion forums, between professionals. And it's just, it's a known thing if in the professional industry, if you are a credible makeup artist, your kit is clean, you're using, you know, 70% alcohol, not 99, 70% alcohol actually disinfects, whereas 99% alcohol actually has too high of an alcohol content to actually like it evaporates too soon. So you want 70% alcohol to actually disinfect, as well as brush cleaner, as well as, you know, cleaning your brushes physically with, you know, antibacterial soap after every single client. There are a number of things like that, that I think in general, people just, just maybe don't 
think about, but quite a bit of work that goes into makeup artists' preparation before and after everything. So, What else is frustrating besides sanitation that people aren't doing in your field right now? You know, it's, it's easy to... It's easy to get frustrated by lots of things because, you know, I, I think as a industry that especially the makeup industry is very comparative. There's a lot of women in the industry and women can be quite comparative sometimes, but comparative or competitive or both. It's a, a great point. I think a little bit of both for sure, but especially comparative when it comes to professionalism. I see so many people talking about other artists and all that. And I personally just try to stay in my own lane and kind of, you know, worry about what I'm doing. But I I guess as far as frustrations, a big thing for me in my journey professionally has been bridging the gap between a working professional makeup artist and someone who also plays quite a bit in the digital content side of things as well. Because I would say overall, if you look at makeup artists, you have kind of two paths. You have the traditional makeup artist who is certified, who is, you know, either union working in film or freelancing, doing bridal, you know, that path. And then on the other side, you have the digital content space. So YouTube, Instagram, typically doing makeup on yourself. And there's quite a big difference between those two fields, because in one realm, you're working mainly on yourself, and you have less rules, less standards to kind of uphold. And there's also no barrier of entry. Like I said, you know, anyone can kind of start that whenever they want with no, there's no rules. There's no rules to start that. So for me, I found it difficult to kind of bridge both areas of the, of the industry because I'm interested in both. I, you know, I work with my partner, Wade, and I film and edit as well. So I love capturing content. I love getting creative with filming. I love doing creative looks on myself in addition to working as a professional artist on clients. So sometimes those things overlap. And I'm always in the back of my mind, kind of worried about being taken seriously in both parts of the industry. Does that make sense? Mm hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's been an interesting journey to kind of find my own place within all of that and, and just kind of come to terms with the fact that I don't necessarily need to fit into one or the other. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic. And this is why I love talking to people in the entertainment industry, because as completely different as what I do and you do, it is like, it's the same thing. Like, you know, some people went the traditional TV route, other people's learned on YouTube, some people take it seriously, some people just want to do it for Instagram. Like, there's so many like frustrating things and unfrustrating things and barrier, the barrier of entry is solo anywhere now. And then I think everybody goes back and forth between traditional and new media, which and maybe you can attest to this as well. It's like, I went the traditional media route. And and I think a lot of people want to go that route because of it, it like, I guess it gives you the respect and it gives you the credentials like, oh, you made it since you're on a traditional TV or, you know, you're on traditional movies, TV or whatever. And you're getting paid really good money. But on the flip side, if you're on the digital content air, you know, arena, like we are, it's tough without, you know, sponsorship. Like it's, it's a whole new ball game, but there's, like you said, there's no rules. It's full creative control. Like it's such a tug and it's like tug of war. And, you know, I think a lot of us as creators and artists are just battling back and forth and just trying to figure out where exactly we fit in. Cause it's like, we want our freedom, but we want to get paid. We want the respect and you know, ah, I don't know. It's a total. Yeah. Cluster. Yeah. It, that's so true. And you know, I think I, I don't, I don't know that there's like a, uh, a definitive answer to that. If that there's a right way to do really anything in this, in this space that we're in, but I think you just have to kind of chisel that out for yourself and whatever, you know, what works for me is not going to be what works for someone else. And I need to be okay with that. And I need to just know that I'm, I I have my own way, you know, and it's interesting because there, there's a sense of validity, right. That comes with doing the, the traditional way of things before social media existed, 
you know, if I wanted to become a makeup artist, I would go to school, I would then I would assist someone and I would try and get into the union. And that's what I would do. That's the path. Nowadays, you can still do that path. That's still a very valid option. And it's a great option. That's what I thought I was originally going to do when I went into makeup school, coming out of makeup school. That was what I had intended on doing. And I just found a love for connecting with people through social media that that was really artistic. And I was able to express my own creative ideas. And you're totally right. Like there, there are kind of are no rules. And so if you're creative and if you're hardworking, you can make social media work for you. It's been a, it's been a little journey for me. Like I think it is for everyone, but social media has become a huge part of my business. And being able to to reach an audience with your work as an artist is a really valuable thing because there's so many different artists out there. There's so many talented people out there, but being able to really have a dialogue with people that are interested in your work and being able to share things back and forth and have people see what you're creating is a really powerful thing. No, I totally agree. And so you guys, I know you're based in LA now. Are you, so are you in the union now or... Yeah, so we're based both um, my partner Wade and I are from Montana, but we are based in Los Angeles now. We just love being here. I I didn't expect to love it so much, but we are so happy to be here. And yeah, I'm I'm not currently in the union. I don't think that that is a path that I'm going to take just because I like the diversity personally. I like the diversity of not being just focused in film. Film is awesome. I did a bit of work in film when I lived in Vancouver, Canada. You know, you can do non-union work in film as well, but I like being able to have certain brides that I take on and I like being able to do creative collaborations with brands and, you know, promote products with a brand that I really love and and stand behind and I like being able to do editorial shoots and commercial shoots. I like the variety that that offers. And my thought with a union is is that you're a little bit more limited on that stuff. If you're trying to just do film and, you know, really make it in the film industry, I think that's definitely the right path. But for me, I just I'm all over the place with my interests and the kind of work that I like to do, so I've kind of chosen to to not go that route. No, yeah. and I totally, and it's so weird how it works because I feel like it would, when people get into the, you know, entertainment business, it's like movies, 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 movies. And especially yeah. with what you do, like I said, this is a podcast. You can't see it, but it's like insane what you do. So I feel like you would fit like perfectly in there, but it's just like, like you're, if you're, especially, I mean, the pay is probably better, but I'm telling you, and you probably know this is like, mm-hmm. okay, the pay's better and you're in the union. Like, this is good. We're working on films. This is our dream. Yeah. But then the rules, but then the creative control, like there's right. just, it's just everything stapled to it. And exactly. it almost, and it happened to me and it almost kind of like, it, it not kills your dream a little bit, but it just kind of like, it's like you're sucking the fun out of what I love to do. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah, you're, you're so right. It, it can definitely do that. I, I think, you know, it, again, things aren't like they used to be. So I think the pay might have been better back in the day rather than just maybe freelancing and doing just bridal or just, just freelance makeup. But now you have options like social media partnerships and you have, campaigns that you can be a part of, you know, corporate commercial photo shoots pay a day rate, just like your, you know, just like a, a day on set does depending on the project. But, you know, so I, I have a day rate that I, that I charge as well. It, it just depends. Everything kind of depends. I've, I've made more one day doing a commercial photo shoot and I've made more the next doing a, a paid partnership on an Instagram or something, you know? So it just, it ebbs and flows and it depends. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's like I said, this is where it goes back to the tug and the, right. like the, the, the tug of war of our yeah. industry. And it's just, it's, yeah, yeah it's so crazy, it, but it I is. don't know. I, I, I think though the long, j- I just, I think traditional media comes first in our, in, in the past generation, but I think as things keep evolving, as we've seen, it's going more digital, it's going more like, I feel like this is just the big, even though that everybody, it seems like everybody's doing it now on Instagram, that Mm -hmm. this is just the beginning. And I don't know, I feel like 
I don't know. I don't know what's next, but I think it's just getting started. <laughs> I think so too. You know, I, I've been really resistant to um, TikTok for a while. <laughs> I think we all, I think we all have, but oh, man. hearing from you and a couple other people, it's like, it's like, oh, this thing is so stupid. It sucks. Like this is for teenagers and dancing parents. And then yes. it's like, well, maybe, maybe it's not so bad. Oh my gosh, man. I will be the first one to tell you that I was so against it. Wade actually downloaded it first and he showed me and I was like, get that thing away from me. That is too much. You know, I'm already <laughs> spread thin on a content standpoint. I cannot consume anything else, especially not this like, you know, just kind of garbage content of people dancing and it's so young. I just, I had a hard time with it at first and um, I will eat my words because I love TikTok. Now. <laughs> yeah, and you're I'm crushing totally, it. You're crushing oh, it. Man. It's fun. It's so fun. I think, you know, the biggest misconception with TikTok is that it, it's just dancing videos and, and silly, you know, catchy things like that. And it totally is that but you can kind of make it whatever you want it to be, right? So I'm a makeup artist. I'm not going to do dancing videos. That doesn't, it's, it's not an interest of mine. Uh, what I am going to do is, you know, creative makeup videos. And so I've just kind of adapted it to my brand and what works for me and the kind of content that I want to show and um, kind of made it my own. And I've had a blast. I'm, I'm not as familiar with shorter form video like that. Typically I'll do, you know, photo or, um, time-lapse kind of stuff. But TikTok is so much fun because you create these kind of just super, super quick videos and it causes you to really pay attention to editing. And so if you're just getting into filming and editing, TikTok is actually a great tool to get familiar with editing to music. And I'm, I'm loving it. <laughs> and how important do you think it is, especially in our age, no matter what uh, or what part of the industry you're in, if you're in the inter in the entertainment industry, period, how important is it to be able to create your own content that's shooting, writing, editing, producing your your content? How important is it, do you think? Oh, man, I think it's essential these days. I'm sure you know firsthand, too. Like, you know, if you're I, th I think, yeah, back in the day, it was just more one dimensional, right? You, it was it didn't involve as much, but today, A, industries are more saturated. So you're just kind of up against more people trying to do it the best they can, just like you. So it's it's a little bit more competitive in all of these industries. And, you know, you, you have to kind of have an edge. You have to be able to get creative and kind of scrappy and make your own content and do something your own way and, and create something that stands apart from the, from the crowd, you know? And so... I think, you know, everything really on a content standpoint is moving towards video. If, if it's not already there, video is, is huge. You, you're able to, to showcase authenticity and, you know, you, you see people that create a lot of content online and everything looks airbrushed and flawless. Well, that's a ton of editing and you can't do that as much with video. It's very raw. It's very uh, in the moment and authentic in, in my opinion. So I like to, I like to build that into my brand with makeup because I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think that, I think that that's huge these days. And I actually, it's interesting because there are a lot of people in the beauty industry, whether it's hair, makeup, nails, whatever. There are a lot of people in the beauty industry who haven't done that for years and who have kind of, you know, stayed in their lane. They have their regular clients. They, you know, maybe they're salon based, maybe they're freelancing, whatever. They haven't dabbled a whole lot into video. And I'm actually having a ton of artists reach out to me right now with this whole virus stuff that's happening. I'm having everyone reach out to me and ask me, hey, can you, you know, take a, a video call or have a discussion with me about how to film and edit and you know how did you how did you get into that can you give me some pointers and obviously I'm happy to share so I, I am offering that as a service now as like a consultation I was about service. to say that's like I hope you're charging for that oh yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely so it's it's become uh, a pretty big part of my business now Wade, Wade and I are very fortunate both of us to you know still be doing a lot of our work online so I've just shifted my business right now as I'm not currently working on anyone 
I'm, I'm just shifting everything online. So I'm still doing, you know, digital partnerships. I'm still doing uh, consultations for anything in the digital space. So yeah, it's been interesting to see everyone's kind of adapting. And it, it just shows you, I think, at the end of the day, the power of social media, the power that it has to be a branding tool. It's marketing these days, you know, it's, it's not enough just to have a Facebook page, you have to put your stuff out there and show what you can do. No, exactly. And I'm honestly, I'm waiting for the day that like, because right now I feel like with social media and content creation in general, the uh, middleman is basically being cut out because now we can reach out to brands and, you know, and everything like that. And I'm waiting for like the people at the top, you know, like the agents and the managers. I don't know what's going to happen there because I feel like it kind of drives me crazy a little bit that they have a lot of power. And yeah. like, re- like, I don't know what it is. Like, I love them. I have one. They're yeah. great. I, I am appreciative for them. But at the same time, mm-hmm. there's just, I don't like, I don't like gatekeepers. I don't yeah. like, I want to be in direct contact with these people. And I know it works better for some, but it's like, you know, especially for brand deals, because I'm sh- assuming you and Wade negotiate your own deals, you know, regardless of what the actual budget is. And that's where that, and that's a tug in, that's another pull and push type thing too, because, you know, let's just say your rate was 2000 or whatever. It's like, you could, if you had had the agent or the manager, they could have negotiated 10 or 20,000, you know? Right. Yeah. And that's definitely the, that's the benefit of having a team, you know, Wade and I are both very fortunate. Um, He's always had representation being more in the talent space and, you know, hosting similar to you, but he, um, he and I bounce a lot off of each other, to be honest. That's something we're very fortunate to have is each other as a sounding board and just for guidance and reading contracts and, You'd be amazed at, you know, the things that you can learn by just throwing yourself in. And it definitely is a trial and error kind of thing. You might undercharge for a little bit too long before learning that you're you're more valuable and you, you know, you should be asking a different rate. But then you learn and you're never never charging that again. And and it evolves from there. You know, you become the accountant, the manager, the 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 gatekeeper for your your own work. And that's a, that's a really powerful thing. If, if you're able to kind of create that on your own, you know, you're a, a force to be reckoned with it. It always, it always helps obviously to have um, management or agents involved to, to book things. You know, there, there are always going to be people who have different relationships that could open doors. But I think like, like we've been talking about that has just, it's changed. It's not, absolutely necessary in the industry like it maybe used to be. It's just interesting how everything works. And I think a lot of people who don't know what our industry is about, like, especially content creators, we mm-hmm. are like wearing probably 20 hats. Like everyone oh, thinks, because I've heard that, you know, kids nowadays want to become YouTubers. It's like, if they only knew You've got to learn how to shoot that camera. You got to learn how, you know, you're going to fit you go. Everyone goes through like, oh, why is that blurry? Or, oh man, I forgot to turn the mic on. Oh, did we didn't charge the battery? Oh, the mic went off. What's that hissing sound? Uh, Why is my card corrupt? Like there's just a million things. And you haven't even gotten to YouTube where you have to learn about search engine optimization, titles, thumbnails. And when you get into thumbnails, you got to learn how to do Photoshop, Canva. And then when you do that, you finally start getting paid. It's just like, now you got accounting. Now you got contracts. Now you got this. Like, And that's why it's like everyone wants to, there's just so much to do. And just people just, I just don't feel like a lot of people realize what goes into being a digital content creator in 2020. Yeah, Yeah, that's, that's so true. It is, it's a little frustrating at times just because I think often, you know, if, if there's someone who's taken a traditional path, sometimes that has a bit more authority over content creators because it is relative in you know in relative terms it is such a new space to work in full time and so yeah I, I think you're totally right people un- underestimate often how how much work goes into everything it's staggering you, you know not even getting into taxes and how to to really get into it on on the business side and to to budget everything you know it is not a consistent job. I don't have a bartending job that I go to on the side and I'm just building this 
on the side, this is it, you know, this is everything. And so it just requires so much attention and real love for what you do. If, if there's no passion in it, then I, there's no way I would ever do this because it's, it's more, it's certainly more work than I ever thought I would be capable of doing. (laughs) But, you know, when it's, when it's something you love more than anything and, and you're really passionate about it, it doesn't, it does feel like work. Let's be honest. It does feel like work, but it does. There's a handful of times (laughs) where I'm just like, Oh my God, I have to make another thumbnail. Like, come on. Like I'm passionate about what I do, but there's just little parts that are just some, I mean, whether it's a thumbnail one day or keywords the next day, or you hit refresh while you're doing the keywords and the description goes blank. And Oh, for those of you who don't know, we're talking about YouTube right there. It's just, it's, it's a fickle, you know what, sometimes, but we love it. We love it. Yeah, um, I, but I that's think... the thing. I feel like sometimes though, passion is necessary because if people get in it, I, you know, I have conversations with people a lot about why they get into YouTube and mm-hmm. some of them, I mean, if it's a lot of them say that they want, they just want to make money. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that is a very uh, dangerous path to go down. Yeah. I I mean, if you have nothing else to do, then great. You can pour all your time into it. But yeah, it is, it is so much effort and time to put into just, and that's just one platform. That's just one, you know, to learn the ins and outs of different platforms is a full-time job in itself because they all run so differently and they all require so much detail and attention. And it's a lot. I, I definitely think that that gets overlooked and, and certainly the passion element of it. You know, if, if you go into anything for that matter, just with, with the, the mindset of just making money, that's you're, you might be sorely disappointed with you know, what, what it takes to really be in it for the long haul because everything can change, especially, especially in the world we live in today. Nothing is really finite in, in my opinion especially when it comes to work. It's just everything YouTube could go down tomorrow, you know? So, so what else are you doing? You, you, I think in our, our industries today, you just have to be dynamic. You have to be on your toes. You have to be hungry to learn and, and really disciplined. That's a huge thing that I've learned in the years that I've been doing this. It just takes focus and discipline and you can roll out of bed at nine in the morning and start your day, or you can wake up at five and, really hold yourself to that schedule and buckle down and really put in the time to learn about what you're doing. Work your very hardest to become, you know, the most educated that you possibly can be about what you're doing so you can provide the best knowledge to your audience and your clients, whatever it is. That's something that I, I just didn't understand when I was younger that I sound like such an old lady now. But No, I, I've said it too. Don't worry about it. You could say it. <laughs> it's true though. You know, I I don't think that I ever understood growing up that that I could have control over what I what I wanted to really spend my time doing in life. That's something that working for yourself, it's it's truly like invaluable. You, you can't describe to someone else how how it is because it's it's such a cool thing to be able to know that you generated um, stability and source of income for yourself you did it no one else did it and you did it doing what you love like that is that's crazy you know both Wade and I are are so grateful every single day and just thank our lucky stars that we are able to be doing what we love independently because it's it's super super difficult and really hard and frustrating all the time but at the end of the day, like I, I really just wouldn't change anything about it because I'm, I'm able to do what I love. I'm able to do a creative field independently. And I'm, I'm just feeling, especially these days, you know, when there's so much up in the air in general, I'm feeling so grateful to, to be able to do what I love and to push myself to continue to learn more and more about it and to just become nimble and adjust with the times Going back to TikTok, that was definitely something I was so resistant to. And, you know, I just opened my mind up a little bit and now it's become, you know, an actual source of income. That's crazy. That's crazy, you know, to just to open your mind and just shift your perspective a little bit and 
and be willing to explore and teach yourself, you know? The sky's the limit when it comes to this stuff. It's just when you, like you said, it's just where you got to try it out. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I feel like when anything new, when anything comes out new, no one knows what's going to happen. It could have died, you know, when it came out, we don't know. But now it's become this thing and it's like the rage now. And like anything else, it'll, you know, it'll plateau at some point and then there'll be something else. I'm like, Oh, why didn't we think of that? You know? And yeah, I was like, well, exactly. are you on, there was an app. I can't remember what it was called, but it came out. Mm-hmm. I, oh, it was called Vero. Do you remember oh, that? Yeah. Was like, I think I did hear about that. It was there for like a second and it was like an <laughs> Instagram ripoff and everyone's like, Oh my God, it's going to be the biggest thing. And then I I'm honestly shocked, shocked that I remember yeah. what I don't even know why I remember that. It's ridiculous, (laughs) but it's just crazy how things change. But, you know, you were talking about, you know, doing what you love. If you could only do one thing that you loved in the industry, what would it be? Hmm. That's a tough question. Yeah, that's, that's so hard. I love the flexibility of, of just being creative on myself, but I think if I had to choose one thing, it would be working with just really awesome, creatively open clients. To be able to have clients that were so open-minded that they trusted me to just completely be my true creative self and really not hold back, that would be that would be it. Because I definitely do enjoy working on other people more than myself. It's just there's something special about handing someone the mirror at the end of whatever I'm working on. And having them see the transformation and feel beautiful, feel that that change within themselves of like they had no idea that this, whether it's beauty or bridal or a really intricate, detailed um, editorial kind of look, handing someone the mirror and having them just have a reaction. That is, that's my absolute favorite part about what I'm able to do as a makeup artist because it's just... It's a it's about that emotion. I don't really get that with myself anymore. <laughs> I never look in the mirror and I'm just like, wow. I just it, it's totally different, you know. But being able to like, to kind of be a part of that with someone else is really cool. I've always really admired um, Lady Gaga's makeup artist because she has so much creative freedom and is able to work with an artist with such a similar um, artistic eye. And that would probably be a dream client of mine. Some Someone at that level where you're able to just give really intricate, beautiful, creative makeup looks to all the time. That would be so cool. And what's the, what's the uh, makeup? Uh, do you know her name? Let me just make sure I don't say it wrong. It's okay. We say names wrong here all the time. If anybody who knows me, I'm terrible with names. But for whatever reason, I can remember an app that never even took off like, what was that three years ago like it, That's so uh, funny. it can't take me anywhere oh gosh i can't remember regard we'll oh, just call it we'll, ju- we'll just did you find it i did it's sarah tan sarah tannin okay i know sarah tano is she, so yeah. is she pretty popular in the uh in your world like everybody you know, kind of knows who she is she is now. She she was a Mark Jacobs um, artist for years. She worked under the brand for years, I think. And she has since evolved into, I think, the co-creator of um, Lady Gaga's makeup brand. So Lady Gaga launched her makeup brand, her makeup line. Maybe it was this past year, last year. And Sarah was actually the co-creator with Lady Gaga on it. So they're now you know business partners in that sense too, which is yeah, another reason I really admire her. She's very business minded and but also just insanely creatively talented. If you could ask her one question, what would it be? Oh man. <laughs> I would ask her about her inspiration, where her artistic inspiration comes from, the the Met Gala look she does, just they're they're really out of the box looks. I would ask her where, you know, what are her main sources of inspiration? What are your main sources of inspiration? Mm. You know, I, I think they come from all over, really. I'm always inspired by other artists. I'm really inspired by color. I've always been a really just color-driven person. <laughs> Even in high school, looking back on it, I wore just ridiculous outfits, not like nothing trendy, nothing that was like cool by those standards in high school. <laughs> I just was, I was definitely out of the box. I wore just weird things like, you know, leopard print dresses and just like, t- just funky things. That's always kind of been my style and my vibe. But yeah, I, 
I think I get a ton of a ton of inspiration from nature as well. Um, both Wayne and I are avid, you know, mountain bikers. Both being from Montana, we grew up hiking, biking, kayaking, all that stuff. So a lot of inspiration from the forms of nature, like leaf patterns and you know floral designs, natural colors that are kind of found throughout throughout nature, and definitely other artists. I'm always really inspired other artists there's so many talented makeup artists out there and you know everyone has a different style and I I try never to you know to just take a concept and make you know and just do it but to make something your own and to take inspiration from something is is a, a really cool thing that we're very valuable or that we're very lucky to do in the the whole world of art is we're able to see things and interpret it your own way and just, you know, make something your own. And if somebody were to see your work on Instagram, I feel like the first thing they think of is maybe Halloween. Is that, do you get that a lot? Yeah. Yeah. I, I am strangely inspired by a lot of horror work. So a lot of skulls and (laughs) creepy stuff. Yeah. No. And uh, if you, do you have like a, uh, do you have like a favorite, um, like I know you just did a Jason Friday the 13th, but do you have like a favorite horror, um, I don't know, movie or like a favorite, I don't know what you'd call it, like a drawing or like a favorite face that you draw on somebody or yourself? You know, I I don't know that there's a specific um, like character or face that that I'm most gravitated to. Character is the word I think I was looking for. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm losing it here. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think, um, you know, I've always been really, for some reason, I've never been able to put my finger on where this comes from, but I've always had this fashion, like this fascination with human skulls. So like Day of the Dead skulls and really artistic skulls, scary looking skulls. I, I've always had a thing for skulls. I actually have a big like arm piece tattoo of a day of the dead skull with all this, you know, floral work around it. I've just always been really, really drawn to the shape of skulls and how you can make the eyes really ornate and the teeth and just get super, super creative with creative with recreating skulls in so many different forms. It's just been a strange thing for me. I have like day of the dead skulls all over the house. And (laughs) I, um, yeah, Halloween's definitely my favorite time of year because I like <laughs> I just like to get weird with the with the creepy stuff. <laughs> no, when I first when I first saw kind of what you did and how good it was, I immediately thought I was like, okay, if I had to choose one thing for her to draw to see how she would do it, give her full artistic control, it mm-hmm. would be the Joker from the Dark Knight. So that would be Heath Ledger. Yeah. Uh, how oh, yeah. have you done that, and how hard would that be? Yeah. It's funny you say that. I actually did that this past Halloween. I did kind of a, let me find it here. I did kind of a half and half look. Let's see. Oh, yeah. It was, so the newer movie that came out that was more of the the backstory on the Joker. That Is that the one up. with Joaquin Phoenix? Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. Exactly. So that makeup, if you if you look at, um, some of the imagery from the different versions of the Joker, that makeup is vastly different from the, you know, the the purple and green Joker with the the cut mouth. Like it's it's very different. And so I I did kind of a mashup of the two for the Halloween series. I did every Halloween I do 30, 31 days of makeup. So I post a different, really intricate makeup look for every day, the whole month of October, which is my favorite series to do. So uh, I did that one, uh, I think it was the 18th day of October. That was really fun. That's awesome. And as far as do, but how, like if I were to sit down in your chair and you were to do the Heath Ledger makeup and everything, mm-hmm. how long do you think that would take you? It's funny. That's a question I get a lot is, is how long did this take? And it really is like, I could go for five, six hours. I could Ooh. sit down and if I had the time, I would do that. If I would, if I could, I would sit down and just pour every ounce of time and just kind of capability that I could. I never have that time because I'm always running late. I'm always trying to get something ready so I can then, you know, post it or edit it, whatever that is. And so it's usually anywhere between an hour and two, two and a half hours, somewhere in there. Wow. Yeah. So probably on someone else, it would be around two hours. And that's interesting because it's almost like 
you know, like when you see those birthday cakes that come out, you know, that are all made in fondant, they look like this like beautiful piece of artwork and they look so good. You don't want to eat it. I feel like (laughs) if I had that on me and it took that long, especially whether it took two hours or six hours, I wouldn't want to take it off. Yeah, that's so true. There were definitely looks that I did this past Halloween that I would spend two-ish hours or, or maybe even a little longer on. Some of the more intricate, you know, detailed ones I would spend a lot of time on. And I would have to just wipe it off because I'd have to do the next one. <laughs> oh. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't even go anywhere. I would just have to like, you know, take my little face wipe and just clean it all off and then do the next one. <laughs> oh, man. <sighs> yeah. Jeez. Well, I could keep going on about this and I just want to wrap it up with this question. So if anybody were, you know, if somebody wants to get into editorials or special effects makeup, what mm-hmm. would you say? And, you know, they you know, they came to you and they were just like, oh, what is one piece of major advice that I need of getting into this industry? What would you say? You know, I think I would, I would suggest that if, if someone wants to get into the industry professionally, that they should definitely go to school for it. They should definitely get a certification, whether that's, you know, esthetician training or full cosmetology license. I went to a specific makeup artists, you know, makeup artistry school. So I learned specific skill sets just for makeup. And I really loved my experience. I would definitely recommend that to someone that's interested in getting into the editorial world or really just the the professional makeup artistry industry in general. I think that it was a huge, huge turning point for me to take a passion and turn it into an actual profession and take it much more seriously than I, I could have done on my own. So, so, yeah. Go to, so yeah. So the point is go to school. <laughs> go to school. <laughs> yeah. Learn where, as much as you can. Exactly. And where can we find these beautiful pieces of art? Oh, um, so Abby Wren artistry is my handle for pretty much everything. Um, yeah. Abby Wren, W R E N artistry. And so I'll put, no, everything. go ahead. Sorry. Oh, that's okay. So yeah, Abby Wren Artistry, that's Instagram, Facebook, um, TikTok, pretty much everything. And I'll put all the links in the description so people can uh, find you. And uh, yeah, well, Um, thank you so much, Abby, for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. It's so fun to chat about the industry. You do such a great job, as always. I appreciate that. I could keep going, but yeah, (laughs) I want to be respectful of your time. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you so much, Thomas. This is such a blast. I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. All right, that does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. And I would love your help. This podcast is brand new, so I need all the help I can get. If you would, just subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star rating. I really, really would appreciate it. And last but not least, I got a little something for you. For the last 10 years, I have been writing, shooting, producing, editing my own video to get my dream job as an entertainment reporter in Los Angeles interviewing the stars. Now, that might not be your dream, but if you are in this industry and you are in this field, you are going to need to learn how to write, shoot, and edit, produce your own content. And now I want to personally train you on these skills so you can create your own journey and make money while doing so. So what I want you to do now is log on to Facebook and request to be in my private Facebook group on camera professionals. Once again, it is called on camera professionals. But wait, Thomas, I really like your stuff. I really want to learn from you, but I don't want to be on camera. Don't worry. I got you covered. In this group, I'm going to be doing a live training, so that means live tips and tricks. I'm going to do giveaways, freebies, and I'm also going to do personalized training. So once again, log on to Facebook and type in On Camera Professionals, and I'll see you there.